polar plunge helps us understand why the life expectancy for men is lower than women. (laughs) If you notice the numbers of young men jumping in the water opposed to the young ladies. Yes, we do dumb things. And then we die. Let's turn to God's word. (laughs) Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to consider the first four verses. Lisa read them for us earlier in the service, but we're going to come back to them again here afresh. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Let's hear God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help us this morning to hear it, receive it, believe it, trust it, cling to it, be life-giving to us. So God, would attend to the preaching, the hearing, the receiving of this, your word, to your glory, to the good of your people. And those who may be far from you, that would be drawn in even today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Who are you? What are you? I can do you one better. Why are you? Kinds of questions of what's the point? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? We all feel these questions drape over our heads and our hearts. How do we answer these questions? How do we tackle these kinds of questions? Especially when we live in a world like ours. We have life in this world, it's like walking into a golden corral, staring at a bunch of options you know you shouldn't choose. How do we answer such questions? As we've walked through Colossians, I've sought to stress Paul's emphatic aim, his purpose in this letter to hold up and to hold out to the Colossian church and to us today The supreme sufficiency of Jesus. The supreme sufficiency of Jesus. Sufficient for you. Sufficient to give us shape and, and direction to these kinds of questions and answers. Sufficient for the vision of a church. The way that we go living it out. And my hope as we've gone through these two chapters and now starting the third is that we are grasping in greater ways that a treasuring Christ through all of life, perspective and vision and pulse in our hearts is is truly God's aim for us. Aim for our lives. That it does answer, gives shape to and fuels those questions that drape over our souls of who we are, what are we, why are we, what's the point, what's the meaning, what's the purpose. And that not only are we grasping this in greater ways, but my hope is that we're eager to commit to it, to live in light of it. Now we're going to get into the portion of Paul's letter that starts looking at what that commitment looks like. What does it mean to commit to a life that's believing and trusting and living that Jesus really is supremely sufficient? 
And that's our hope. And so there's a word for that. There's a word that kind of captures what that means, this entirety of our lives following after a supremely sufficient Jesus. And that word is discipleship. Discipleship. Discipleship is our ongoing growth of living out our new identity in Christ. It's the ongoing following Jesus, the ongoing growth of living out our new identity in Christ. If God has done something radical in you, moving you from dead in your sin to alive together with Christ, if God has done that in you, you have an entirely new identity. You have an entirely new life. And the rest of your life is learning how to live that new life out. And our new identity is so crucial. It's so crucial to our living it out that we have to get this. And that's where Paul goes goes in the beginning of chapter 3. Our new identity in Christ forms and fuels our new living in Christ. Who we are in Christ shapes and gives strength to then living out this new life in Christ. And that's what Paul tackles for us in this passage this morning. And one that I want us to consider together. Treasuring Christ in discipleship forms and fuels a number of things that we need to to get our heads and our hearts and our very lives around. The first is that treasuring Christ in discipleship forms and fuels our identity. It forms and fuels our identity, the who we are. Secondly, what we'll see here in our passage is that it forms and fuels our perspective. That is how we look at life. How do we look at life and then go about living it out? It it gives us our perspective. Thirdly, it gives us direction. So not only do we get a better sense of who we are, and not only can we now look at the world around us, but it gives us direction of how to go forward. It gives us purpose and an aim that we're going toward. And then fourthly, the end of that aim, our destination. In this little paragraph, Shifting from theological truth that Paul has laid out to then practical application of that truth in our lives. We have this crucial, hugely important paragraph that lays the groundwork for taking what we believe and seeing it show up in how we live. And that's this paragraph for us. So let's jump in. Let's consider these things um, uh, together as we move forward um, in this letter. So first, treasuring Christ in discipleship forms and fuels our identity. Our identity. This is, first of all, an important shift in the letter. So what we've seen in the first two chapters is that Paul is unpacking, if you will, the theological foundation of a good and gracious God who brings about our salvation through the overwhelmingly sufficient Jesus. Like there's no one as, as sufficient as Jesus. He is the fullest. Twice Paul says in those two chapters that Christ is the fullness of God in bodily form, dwelling bodily. It is God in the flesh to do for us what we could never do. And so he took time to lay out the significant theological framework 
of what a sovereign God who saves sinners means. This is amazing. And this shift in the letter is moving from that foundation into then how we build on it. How do we live this out? What we believe shows up in how we live. So first two chapters are very important, crucial theological foundation. And then the second two chapters of Ephesians or of Colossians, excuse me, is the practical outworking. In fact, you see that often in Paul's writings. Ephesians, I was getting a little ahead of myself. Ephesians does that too. It's three chapters of theological crucial understanding and then three chapters of living that out. Romans is 11 chapters of theological understanding and then uh, five chapters of living that out. And so he is basing the living out of who we are now on this important foundation of what God has done for us. It is taking those theological truths, those declared truths about God, about Christ, about salvation, and, and then going into those imperatives, the commands, the things in which we are to embrace and how we live. Now, this is very important. Before we dig into understanding our identity, we need to keep Paul's order in the right order. He starts with the theological truth of who God is and what he does before he starts explaining and calling us to live. Because all of us are pretty good at like flipping the order. We think we are to do all these things in order to get what we see played out in verses or in chapters one and two. We don't live out three and four in order to get what we find in one and two. We have one and two because God is gracious and burst into our lives. Therefore, we can now live out three and four. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Do you, do you get that? What God has done in Christ for us is the only means and our only hope to live for Christ as God would have us. So this is crucial. This is important. So this is the shift that we're going into. This letter is now going to be focused on how we live out of what we believe. We don't live out in order to gain. We live out because we've already received. Crucially, crucially important. So now let's consider how identity means everything to us. How identity means everything. The very basis for the, the sort of dual nature command in this paragraph which as you can see in your Bible is to set and seek. Those words are sort of parallel with one another. They're kind of getting at the same thing. But the very basis of it is that we now in Christ identify with him. That our identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Theologians use the word union with Christ. That we are now in Christ. And, And in fact... If you were to chart through the Apostle Paul's writings, he has 13 letters. If you were to chart through those, you would find that he uses in Christ or with Christ significantly. It's hugely important to him to know that your identity is wrapped up in Jesus. That it's a major doctrine of the faith. That with our faith in Jesus, we now identify with him. If then you have been raised with Christ, so that there's, there's something about being in Christ in order to be raised with Christ. 
And he says later, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's this almost like location imagery that he's giving to us about how crucially important it is to be in Christ. And then he goes on to say, Christ, who is your life? So, so this whole idea of who we are, if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you have a radical new identity. And that identity tells us something. What Christ has and what Christ does counts for us as if we have and have done. I'm going to say that again. What Christ has and what Christ has done to be united to him through faith means all of that is yours. His righteousness is now yours. His payment for sin is now yours. His victory over death is now yours. His resurrected life and one day returning is now yours. So to be in Christ is to have all that Christ has. This is amazing. Why would you want to be anywhere else? When only in Christ there is victory over death. Only in Christ is there payment for sin. Only in Christ is there righteousness to be right with God. So much so that Paul gives us one of the most incredible parenthetical statements in all of the Bible. It's not even the main point of what he's saying. But I mean, in a way it is. But in the last part of verse 4, when Christ appears, then you'll also appear with him. It's what the sentence is. But there, in this sort of parenthetical thought over what Paul is thinking deeply about in terms of of the foundation of our faith and the implication it has in our life, he says these incredible words, who is your life? And it's actually even more blunt in the original. It's just, Christ, your life. That's what he says here. He's so caught up in all that he has in Christ and all that it means for his life that he just almost like guttural sort of blurting out, Christ, life, yours. Do we see Christ in that way? Do we cling to him as if he is our life, means of life, oxygen, food, water, nourishment? Is he our life? That your entire identity is wrapped up in being in Christ. And I want to say that whole idea is truly countercultural in our current moment. I mean, we live in an age where we are being told that we can shape our identity. That we can determine who we are so as to justify how we want to live. Rather than resting in and rejoicing in what God has given to us in Christ. And our cultural moment is so invested in this, in this that they're willing to defy or mutilate science so as to back it up. But not only that, and maybe uh, many of us in here don't feel that particular struggle. We feel a very different one. We feel a very strong magnet or maybe a whole bunch of little magnets each and every day, you know, pulling, 
at you a little bit, pulling at your heart a little bit, just this, this magnet pull into embracing the ways in which the world would say we should live as opposed to the way that God would call us to live in Christ. Pulling our affections away from what God has given us so richly in Jesus to embrace maybe sort of what your peer group says is the thing. And I say that not just thinking of, say, maybe our younger ages that are here, but also our older ones. There are peer groups all over the place that pull our attention and our affection away from what God has given to us in Christ. And we all feel those magnets. I can't answer to you for your, your magnet, but you hopefully get the sense of what I'm saying to you. you there's a, a magnet of something pulling at you. Wanting you to be more identified with that. So as to adopt their values. I mean, we certainly feel that when we're younger. We want to be in a particular group, and so we do all that we can to align with it, and we even dress to fit. And we feel these pulls. Rather than tying our identity to, to who we are in Christ. First Corinthians is an incredible letter, and in that incredible letter, Paul says these most incredible words. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You who are in Christ. You have something so wonderful. And secure. And sweet. And satisfying in Jesus. And I hope as we've gone through the letter in Colossians. That your heart has been warmed toward worship. As a result of what we see in Christ. And that is the very basis now of your identity. You are one in Christ. And that new identity then gives way to this new perspective. The way that you then turn around and look at life around you. It gives you a new perspective that that looks at life through Christ as if Christ really is the greatest treasure of all. As if Christ really is your heart of your identity. You are a beloved one of God who now belong to him through Christ. And so it gives you this perspective. The very beginning of the chapter gives us that if then. If then you have been raised with Christ, do these things. It's changing the way that you look at life. An if then worldview. A worldview is, is just how you see life and then seek to live it out. And so as you grow in understanding who you are in Christ, it shapes then how you look at life, how you start to answer those questions about purpose and meaning and goals and so on and so forth. It it starts to shape those because you're looking at it through the lens of Christ rather than through, say, politics or success or comfort or hobby horses. When we allow those things to shape our perspective, then it shapes our values, and then it shapes what we actually do with our time. And so many of those things can be very good and right. And we would want believers to, followers of Christ, to be involved in areas of politics and business and entertainment and art and teaching and so on and so forth. But if we allow those to have the primary perspective of which we look at life, then they will shape our values and from there dictate how we live. 
our perspective for life using Paul's if-then paradigm is to look at life through the lens of who we are in Christ, not look at life through the lens of what we do, per se. We start first with Christ, and then who we are in Christ as a manner in which we begin to look at life. And what is it that we're doing? Well, look what he says first. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, I want to say this quickly. He's not saying seek something in order to possess, to gain it, to to have it, to cling to it, to catalog it. He's not saying go after something in order to own it. No, that basis is already clear. You already have it all if you're in Christ. So you're not seeking to gain. You're seeking more of a form. You're you're seeking to have a value system shaped by who you belong to. So we don't seek or strive for a status we already have in Christ. Freely given, mind you. Rather, we are to strive to make that status how we then look at life and live it out. That we better understand God through faith in Christ and then see how that shapes our understanding of who we are and how we live. What does that mean? Well, there's a sense of a daily submission to the values of the heavenly kingdom you now belong to. A daily submission to the values of what you belong to. So that as you go about being a politician or a teacher or whatever it is that you do in your life, you're taking the values of who you belong to into those arenas and living it out. If I could use a word to capture this, knowing that it could serve more as an umbrella, it would be the word humility or humble. Because we are naturally self-centered people and we need a daily death to our selfishness. We need a daily life to following after the one whom we belong to, wanting to live according to him. You can consider Philippians chapter two, verses one through five. And in verse five, culminating with these words, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind? The one that's humble, that looks to the interests of others, that's eager to live out of this place of belonging to Jesus. Or take what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That perspective begins to shape us. So as we begin to understand who we are in Christ because of God's overwhelming grace, you are no longer identified with your sin and your shame. You've been rescued from that. You've been restored out of that to a right relationship with God because of Christ. You you are redeemed. You're not dragging around dirty clothes. You've been given clean ones. That's your identity now. And that... That new dress, that new clothing that you have, man, that gives you a new perspective on life. Who in here doesn't want to just go out when they get something new and it fits right? You don't want to stay in, do you? You want to go out. Even if it's just to go sit in the coffee shop, you're excited. I know I'm not the only one on this. I'll be honest up here. You're You're excited about this new thing that you have. And so it begins to shape 
your life. It begins to shape how you look at it. And as that sort of trickles down and seeps down into your heart, it then gives us this direction. So you have a firming grasp of who you are. It gives you a a radically new perspective on life. And in that new perspective, you have a new direction. Verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on the things of God. On the things of Christ. On what God has done for you. Your direction now is one Christward, if you will. Toward Christ. Paul's already emphasized that in Colossians 1.28. The aim of his ministry is to hold up and hold out Jesus so that people will come to know him and mature in Christ. And that people would be presented maturing in Jesus. That's what he's wanting to do. And so we now have a mindset that has an impact on our manner of living. It's really a parallel thought to seeking the things that are above. Setting your mind and seeking are both sort of parallel thoughts. We are to think carefully and deliberately and intentionally at who we are in Christ in order to go about living for Christ. I mean, so that is the rest of our lives is to be lived in a Christward direction, Christward in character, Christward in content, Christward in our calling and the many ways in which we live out our lives here in this world. So much so that no matter what you do, and you get to do a lot of things, some of those things are ordinary, and some of them are awesome. And sometimes the ordinary is awesome. And whatever it is that you get to do, Colossians 3.12 says, do for the glory of God. Direction. Do your very best. And whatever it is you do. And dream and do and Pursue lots of things. Be joyful in the ordinary. Whatever it is that you do, do for the glory of God and the good of others. You have a direction. And as you live out your life, live as if Christ is your aim, as if he is where you're heading. Some encouragement. You won't arrive to that place or this side of glory. You won't get there. But you can strive. You can always be striving that direction that God has called you in Christ. You can always be striving toward Christ. Who in here wouldn't want to see a bit of their impatience sort of die as they age? (laughs) Right? Who in here wouldn't want to see more joy foster in their life, no matter their circumstances? Because there's this growing Christ-like character in them. Or how about kindness? That just sort of dripping out of your mouth rather than harshness. Sometimes, uh, you know, we, we see the ways in which we interact with each other online. And you need one of those like, uh, you know, those toxic radiation suits to zip up in order to like tread into that water. We wouldn't talk that way and to each other in person, would we? Most likely not. But what if like genuine kindness came out of us more often? 
That's convicting. Well, that's our direction, Christward. We can strive for these things. Take into consideration what Paul says in Philippians 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, if there was anybody who could have just sort of like coasted with the rest of his life, wouldn't it have been Apostle Paul? Like, I mean, man, dude, you did your time. You, you, you gave it all up. Right? You, you, you gave up your life to do this. You, you were in church planting vocational ministry. You were bivocational. You know what? You even had to put up with the worst churches in the worst context ever. They like threw rocks at you. They wanted you dead. You did it, dude. You did it. Coast on out of here. Go find a nice little place in the Mediterranean and chill out, dude. You did awesome, right? Anybody could have just coasted with the rest of whatever life he had. We could say, Paul, yeah, dude, you get it. You get, the, you get a pass here. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I want more of Christ in me. So some of you who are older, it's, you're not off the hook. Strain Christward. You too can be kind. You too can be patient. You too can trust God to work in your heart to be a bringer of the message of salvation to others. And those of you who are younger, your direction is to look more and more like Christ with your life and knowing that you will never arrive, but you can always strive. Now, Paul gives us some direction uh, with the rest of this chapter and into chapter 4. And it's some incredible, like, really synchronized thoughts about what discipleship looks like. In the next paragraph, he talks about the things that we get to put off. Because of our new identity in Christ, we're going to put to death or take off these old ways of living. And then the paragraph after that, he's going to say, and then we're going to take on these new ways of living. Because of of our belonging to Jesus. Then he's going to go forward from there. And it's like, hey, you're treasuring Christ and discipleship is going to impact your relationships. uh, Husband and wife, father, uh, mother and and, sons and daughters. And in the places in which you interact with other people. And and also even throughout the world and interaction with the world. All of this has an impact on all of those places and we'll get there. But it is important for us to know that the direction of our lives is to reflect more and more of Christ. To live as if there is nothing more valuable. That there isn't anything we could treasure more than Jesus. And that becoming more and more like him would be like the overwhelming affection and aim of our hearts. Now, that will be hard. That's why striving is a word that we need to be okay with. That through faith in Christ, trusting the grace that rescues us to be the grace to strengthen us so that we can strive, that we have direction. So if you're getting ready to go into college, your direction is to grow in Christ's likeness at college. If you're getting ready to move into retirement, that your direction as you move into retirement is to do so growing in Christ's likeness. Because that is who you belong to. That's who your identity is wrapped up in. Because guys... Ladies, Christ has rescued us, not just from something, but to something. And not just to something, but to someone. 
Let us live as if we belong to that someone. Now, it ends with some good words because life is hard and harsh. I don't have to tell anybody in here that life isn't hard or harsh. It is. You know it. Maybe you're in it right now. Here's some good news. Look at verse four. When Christ, who is your life, I have that highlighted, underlined, and bracketed in different colors in my Bible, just as a helpful tip. Who is your life? Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So our treasuring Christ in discipleship, has a, it's, it's shaping and forming and fueling our identity, our perspective, our direction, and it gives us good news about our destination. It gives us really good news about our destination. We have a glorious end. This life is hard. It is not easy. We have hearts that are wayward. People can hurt our wayward hearts and we can hurt others. Life is filled with all sorts of challenges and hardships. And I want to encourage the people in here who trust Jesus for salvation, that you and I, we have a glorious end. And this passage gives us two encouragements. One is our glorious end, that we will appear with Christ in glory. Not as we were, not as we are, but as we will be. And we will be like Christ in glory. That is resurrected. That is right with God. That is in glory. Good news. Good news. What you are now is not what you will be. What you will be will be far greater than your best day. Because you will be like Christ. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, we're not going to be one-to-one as Jesus. You know, that's like saying you're going to be one-to-one with God. But you will be like Jesus All, again, that Jesus has secured for us is ours. So that means his resurrection is ours. This is good, good news for us. That the striving will come to an end. And the rest will be forever. And it will be a great joy. But I want to give you, while we have this encouragement, I want to give a warning. I want to give a warning. Our hearts will be restless in this life if we're chasing after smaller magnets. We will always feel a restlessness when we're not clinging to this overwhelming magnet of God's grace for us in Christ. When we give in and and direct our affection, our attention, our lives to these smaller magnets of success, of comfort, of acceptance, of whatever you fill in the blank for you. You're going to be restless because those things do not provide you a glorious end. They cannot give to you what only Christ can give. Our hearts will be restless in this life until we rest in Christ. And the more we make ourselves the center of our lives, the more restless it's just going to be. When Christ, who is your life, 
appears. Then you will appear with him in glory. Good news. This is a second encouragement in here. It's actually a little bit earlier in the passage, and I'm going to save it for this part. We get some courage along the way. So look back at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Another aspect about our union with Christ, our identity in Christ, is that now our life is hidden with Christ in God. And I really want us to, to end with just that encouragement. The English transliteration of the Greek word, I don't bring homework into the, here very often. And so what I mean is when they take an, the English letter equivalent to the Greek letter and just put it in English, it, it, just to transliterate going from Greek into English, sometimes they say things that, we're, that are familiar to us. And the word for hidden is crypto. God cryptos you. Hear that? God locks you up safe. So safe. No one can break it. No one can break the cryptology, if you will. No one can get in to where God keeps you to take you out. Maybe as a parent, when your kids were real small, you put like a piece of candy in your hand and you closed up your fist and you sat there and you, for like 20 minutes, you know, your kids just waving your arm around trying to open up your fist to get to the candy, right? Has anybody done that? I, okay, I have. And anyway, I'm sitting there and I won't let my fingers move, right? But maybe after a while, that one moves just to keep them interested. But, you know, and then they can't get in. They can't get in. Their, their grip isn't strong enough. They can't get to the the treat that's now melted because I lost track of time, you know, so, but it's safe, right? God cryptos you, holds tight of you. He grips you and he keeps you in the safest place in all of the cosmos that nothing can get to ever. So while life is hard and it's harsh, And while the striving is real and the struggle is real, and while there are times where you don't feel very much like you're in Christ because you just feel like a mess, and while you sometimes are so distracted that you forget the glorious end and you forget the fact that Christ is your life, I want you to know that God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't let go of you. And he hasn't taken you out of the place in which he's kept you safe. He keeps you crypto forever and ever. So... Reverse engineer that with me. If God is keeping you safe, and if you have a glorious end, then you, and you have everything you have in Christ, then that means you have everything right now to live out your life with great joy following after Christ. Even if all the things around you fall apart, the things that, are, the things that matter for eternity won't. And they won't because they're based off of God and his plan and his purpose and his promise and his provision of Jesus for you. You are hidden in the safest place. And while you may get bumps and bruises along the way, you are going to be where nothing can get to you and destroy you. So, therefore, what Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen. Through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break and break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The rest of our lives are to be spent in the ongoing growth of living out our new identity in Christ. That we would see in greater measure how our new identity in Jesus forms and fuels our new living for him. And may we be encouraged to strive all the way to the very end. God, we pray that you would help us in this. You would do this good work in our hearts that maybe some of us in here need to rest and camp out on just understanding who we are in Jesus. And we would see your overwhelming love to rescue us out of our dirt and shame of our sin and bring us into your glory and your presence through Christ. And it would just be uh, just warmth to our soul and may be feeling cold in this world. Maybe some of us in here have been caught up with other things that have distracted our hearts, allegiance and affection. And maybe we just need to recalibrate our perspective so as to see our lives through the lens of all that you've provided for us in Jesus. And so I would pray that you would bring a sense of humility into our hearts. Be willingness to set aside our hobby horses, if you will, to, to want to live out for your glory. Would you help us, for some of us in here who, who may have just sort of been eking around in life, not much direction, that you would just give us a conviction in our hearts to live as if Jesus matters most of all, and that we would see, want to see more of his character and more of our lives. God, bring all of us encouragement. Encouragement from knowing that at the very end of our lives or this world, there will be Jesus and we will see him. That our faith will move to sight. We will know in increasing eternal measures the wonders of the salvation we have in Jesus. May that give us strength even now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.